Our next guest is Jason Payne. I came across Jason on Twitter just actually a couple of weeks ago and I just read his blog. Every single blog post you've done in the last couple of months in one sitting. I really enjoyed your stuff, man. So I'm really happy to have you the Anxious Baller podcast. Thanks for coming. Super excited to be here and thanks for the kind words. And sometimes when you're publishing stuff on the internet, you don't know if publishing it for your own uh, you know, your own satisfaction or somebody's actually reading it. So it's uh, it's nice that to get some good feedback. I just want to jump in right away. Do you mind maybe kind of sharing your background and, and why you became interested in sports psychology? Basically, it goes back 30 years to when I was an athlete. And uh, my dad is a coach. And he was in the 80s, was an early adopter to these things. And at us doing meditations and, um, you know, visualize guided visualizations and things when I was in high school. And if I'm honest, I probably fell asleep most of the time, but it got me thinking and then sort of started me reading and, and learning more and more. Uh, as I became a, a coach and, and a teacher, I started to learn more and more and, and try and bring my teams together using these skills and found real mixed results. And so I've been teaching and coaching varsity basketball in Yorkton, Saskatchewan for the past 20 years. And over that time, I've really seen the need for this with our young people really grow. I find now my timeouts aren't um, what we need to do to handle defensive pressure. It's what we need to do to handle the pressure of the game, uh, you know, breathing, just relaxing, making sure that, you know, they're handling all the other things that are going on in the game, not just the X's and O's of things. And over time, that was becoming more and more of the focus of, of my coaching. And I thought maybe that was just my team that needed it. And I, I spent the summer coaching one of the provincial teams in Saskatchewan and found that it was as bad, if not worse, at the elite level where kids were dealing with a lot more pressure, expectations, hopes of, of what basketball was going to mean for them. Uh, and it led me to enroll in a master's of sports psychology. And from there, I spent a lot of last two and a half years really immersed in sort of how can I help coaches teach this stuff? Jason, the one thing I read when I was going through one of your initial blog posts, probably maybe your first or second one, you were talking about how you tried to integrate sports psychology or, or mental performance. And there were a lot of kids that were open to it initially, but you felt that later there became a little bit of resistance. I'm interested how you kind of got around that, how you um, went about making these things actually transferable where the kids could see the results. That definitely was my experience. Kids would sort of maybe gravitate to towards it to using those skills somewhat and then would try them and eh, maybe the results weren't what they, they want. And they say, okay, we're, these don't work. And I think the goal has to be to teach these as skills. So in the same way that um, we worked on finishing through contact last night in practice, we also worked on, we started practice with a meditation every day and we work on the mental skills that we're focusing on every day in practice. And we, Basically, I've come up with kind of a, a, a bit of a framework that I use to teach them. And I think it's been really effective the last few years when I've 
been able to incorporate it into what we're doing. And I think the first step is, is to educate them. So you teach them about the skill, teach them the why and the how. Um, and we usually do that in the classroom. The second one is probably the most important one and it's to experiment. And so we create situations in practice where we embed it into what we're doing specifically. So we'll pick a drill and we'll say, in this drill, I want you to focus on your self-talk. So while they're doing, if it's a shooting drill or, or whatever, I want them to specifically focus on managing, noticing, and changing, if required, their self-talk. And then the last step, once I, I wouldn't necessarily encourage them to use that in competition right away because they're skills and we wouldn't use a new skill right away in a game if we haven't, if we aren't comfortable with it. Some of them take to it really quickly and others don't. Um, the last step is to embed it. And that's where it becomes all part of what we do. And so, you know, in a timeout, we'll talk about incorporating a, a self-talk monitoring technique and we'll use the language and lingo that exists around that within the program. And so any of my players right now, I could have a conversation and say, the Mamba mentality is one that we use to say, you know, what would it be like if your favorite player was to, to be providing you with feedback right now and encouragement? So we call that the Mamba mentality. And so they're familiar with the, the strategies and the, the activities and exercises that we use. And we try and put it together all in, in to everything we do across the program. Yeah, I really love that, especially the, you know, using the phrase, the Mamba mentality. I think it's a cool thing for players when they can relate to that and make sense of it right away, just through the language that you use. And one thing I want to ask you, Jason, is you were talking about the self-talk and going into, you know, maybe a basketball drill you're using in your practice. So does that mean maybe it's a drill that the kids are already pretty comfortable with? And then like, okay, you guys have done this a few times, but today we're going to focus on your self-talk. Is that what it looks like? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that over the course of several practices, we will go from a drill that they're really familiar with and is really easy maybe like two person shooting drill where we pass and we shoot and move it to something that is more structured, that there's more things going on. Maybe the, the cognitive and, and physical demands are higher so that it's harder for them to do it because once they get into a game, there's a lot of variables and a lot of factors going on and you still have to monitor it despite all of those things. So we try and sort of increase the, the load and, and demands that will be existing for them in those situations. Uh, after practice every day, we also take 10 minutes and they have a sort of accountability partner. They do some journaling. They talk about where they're at, what they're doing. And we kind of debrief sort of, how was your self-talk? You know, how was, how was your focus? Whatever, whatever the skills are that we're focusing on at the time. Uh, this year we're working on two only. You said that you believe self-talk is maybe the most important skill for athletes to be able to access and use? Yeah, I, I think for sure. I think it has a huge impact on how they feel about themselves. It's a huge impact about how they're gonna handle the ups and downs of competitions. It creates a narrative of, of their athletic career, it creates a narrative of, of their lives. I think it. We, we give ourselves thousands and thousands of messages every day. And what's the tone of those? What's the general tone of those? How do you give players opportunities maybe to monitor their self-talk outside of practice 
or outside of maybe a less structured environment? We talk a lot about sort of how they can apply it in, in everyday life. I, I focus with primarily high school students. So we talk about tests or um, situations where maybe their self-talk, social situations, um, academic situations, conflict, uh, any of those situations where that's the kind of where their self-talk tends to potentially be problematic. The last couple posts that you've made is talking about psychological safety. The one thing I've really been thinking about in my own practice is like I have a few clients I'm working with, individual players, players that are playing college basketball, some that are professional players. And from what I hear, their environment doesn't sound psychologically safe. It's challenging because I'm trying to show them maybe some mindfulness or some strategies, but this environment is making it hard to just to be consistent with those things. If they're struggling with psychological safety, they don't feel that in the environment they're currently in. What would your best advice be for them? I think that's a great question. It's not a simple one. Uh, I think that it's one thing if, if you're the coach or I'm the coach and we're aware of those situations. I think it's a little more complex when you're dealing with somebody who's coming to you saying that there's an environment that they don't feel psychologically safe in. And I think, you know, on the, on the one hand, you'd say, you know, if it's also physically safe, unsafe, then maybe it's time to find a different team to play on. But mm -hmm. I think at, at the same time, the, the challenge becomes what can they do to help improve that level of safety? And some of that can mean having a really vulnerable conversation with a coach, but that takes a certain level of, of trust in that coach. And if that's not there, then I think that you really have to establish, they need to examine and, and decide that they have to trust themselves in that situation and say, you know what, I can recognize that I don't feel that this is necessarily the best environment for me and that I'm going to prioritize my own wellness, my own mental health, my own whatever I need to do to create, carve out a little safe environment within something that maybe they don't necessarily feel is totally a safe team or, or situation. So when you're growing up and you have stuff that went on with your family or, you know, the sport environment, uh, maybe it was an overbearing parent. Maybe it was receiving a lot of feedback from a coach. You're starting just maybe to take a player through a process for how they can kind of get over these things. What does your process look like? Where do you start? It starts with relationships. And every kid who comes into the gym or into my classroom has a backpack on. And in that backpack are their life experiences. And some kids come from loving two-family homes and have had a very supportive environment. And other kids come from bring pain and, and trauma and tragedy in with their backpack. And I think that the reality is we have to try and meet our players where they're at. And we do that by investing in them and getting to know them. And in some situations that goes really fast and they're open to the investment that you want to make in them and others, they bring distrust in that backpack and it, means that you have to invest more in them. You have to try and find whatever it is that, that works best to motivate them to be their best. I think that creating that safe environment means accepting them for who they are and allowing them that level of self-determination to sort of chart their own course. And that as a coach, sometimes that's not always super easy. When you're in a, a team setting and you're helping these players and obviously everybody has different roles, what's What's the difference then, I guess, from accepting them as a person and helping them in the safe environment, but also as a coach, helping them establish a role or 
again, at the end of the day, maybe try to just compete and win. Like, what's that relationship like for you? It's a balancing act, I think. And it's certainly something that I, I think is evolving for me all the time. And trying to make sure that you're creating an environment that, that's safe while also making sure that you're taking care of the, the needs of the rest of the group can be really hard. And sometimes some of it is what comes down to, are you the most positive person in that person's life? Are you the person, like, do they have somebody else that if, if I'm, as a coach, I'm demanding and I'm hard on you, do you have somebody that you can go to for support in that? And if they are, then I feel like in those situations, that person can probably be pushed more by me. Whereas in another situation, maybe, I'm a, an important person in that person's support system. So maybe I, I, I don't push as hard. And I mean, I think it really comes down to making sure that you understand what you're, as best you can, what your kids bring in their backpacks and, and what they need. So Jason, last couple of questions for you. The one thing I've always struggled with probably throughout my whole life is understanding how to let go. I've received some coaching from people and, you know, there'd be conversations saying, you know, John, you just have to let go. And I know this might be tough. And I guess for me, growing up as a coach, having my control muscle essentially overdeveloped, wanting to control everything, it was like my release muscle was underdeveloped. What I'm curious for you, especially someone who's in the sports psychology space, who has a ton of experience working with, with kids, your own life experiences, What's your process for letting go? Do you have maybe a specific example from your background that made it difficult to let go? When you sent me this question, I loved it because it's, it's kind of what I think I'm trying to teach people. I think it's what I'm trying to get athletes to realize. It's hard. It's super hard. And I know, you know if I'm to use examples in, in my own life, I'm not always great at it. Uh, it's one of those things I'm uh, continuing to work on and I think really for me the the greatest takeaway from all the learning I've done in this area over the last three years and all the skills that I'm trying to help others is that it's helping me and that's also still a continuing growth process so but I think as far as is letting go it's about accepting the result I think sometimes and one of the things I talk about with my players um, and the athletes that I'm working with is it's a formula from Tim Kite, who's a, a sports psychologist in the States. And, and he talks about E plus R equals O. And that's event plus response equals outcome. And letting go is, is kind of broad and doesn't really involve any sort of instruction. And so what I try and focus on with my kids and myself is that the event is going to happen most times, whether I have control or I may have had control over it, but it's happened. It's my response that defines the outcome. And so if I can control that response, then I have some control over what the outcome is. But once that outcome happens, I have to accept that it's happened. And it comes from being present enough to, to say that I can control the controllables and that I have to allow the other things to happen because I can't control them. And, and I think we've all experienced in the last two years, lots of opportunities to practice that because there's been lots of things we can't control. And some of it's been hard and challenging and some of it has had sunny rewards on the other side. I, I would not be sitting here having this conversation with you if I hadn't spent the last two years where normally I would have been in a gym. Instead, I 
decided to work on some other things. So, you know, there's always something good that comes out of it. So I think that letting go process is, is part of accepting and responding in, an, in a meaningful manner. Is there one question I should ask you that might be helpful for the people listening? So coaches or athletes. So what would that question be? And how would you answer that question? I think the question for me is, what's the biggest benefit of teaching your athletes mental performance skills? And to me, this is the important thing. I think as, as coaches who care about transforming, like having transformational impact on your athletes, we're all trying to help them become better people, become better men, women, um, fathers, mothers, all those things. And we highlight the dedication that it takes to be an athlete and the commitment and, and all those skills that they take forward in life when they're done with sport. I think that mental performance skills have a huge, huge role. If we teach them properly to our kids, this can be a, that can impact their lives for the rest of their lives. If we can start to uh, just to use self-talk, which I'm using with my kids this year, if I can help them start to change the patterns of their self-talk when they're 17, that's a pattern that could be lifelong. And, you know, I know how hard it's been for me to try and change it when I started at 45. You know, if I could have started 30 years ago, I would have, those 30 years probably would have been a better part of my life. So I think if, if we can teach these skills to them in a setting where they're engaged and they can see the benefits, I think we're going to get kids who perform better in my case on the court, and we're going to get kids who are going to take away skills that are going to help them hopefully throughout their whole lives. So to finish, I just want to mention a few things and I'll let you have the last word as well. The first thing is I think people really need to check out your, your blog, as I've mentioned a few times. The second thing is from my understanding, you're developing or you've already developed a curriculum for some of the things that you've talked about. And that's going to be, I think you said April or May. I think I'm hoping to get that released in the end of March, which will be perfect mm -hmm. just as basketball season ends. Um, and, and basically the curriculum is going to be exactly what I use with my athletes. So it'll be the PowerPoints and videos that I use to teach it. And then the handouts and things that people can use to, to work right through the curriculum to teach those skills to their kids. Um, and then I'm hoping to do a masterclass in April on how to teach mental performance skills in general and self-talk specifically. So all those things will be advertised on the website, which is Evolution Mental Performance Coaching. And there's also on Twitter, I have a link to our weekly or bi-weekly, depending on how insane my life is, um, newsletter, which is going to always have something that a coach can take and use with their team and maybe some highlights of some sports psych things that I've seen in, in current sport, some resources that I've used along the way, books, podcasts, things that I think can help people on this journey that maybe I'm a little bit further ahead on than some. Right on, Jason. I'm a big fan of yours, man. I've really enjoyed just getting to have a conversation with you and reading everything that you've written so far. And the masterclass and the curriculum, those are things I'm really going to uh, pay attention to because I, I really think that you have a lot to offer, man. You've got a lot of cool experiences. And the one thing I'll say just before we get off, I love how, Jason, you have not only like the education and you've worked on yourself, 
in that way, but you've also been a coach for a good, a good chunk of time. And I, I feel sometimes that's missing. You, you can kind of put the pieces together because you're in that spot. So it's very relevant. Everything I've read makes, makes sense and it's super practical, so. Well, and I think that's partly because it's been tried and I failed on a lot of things. <laughs> so you learn things that don't work just as easily as, as things that do. So I think it's been a journey that I've really enjoyed a lot. And it's uh, always interesting. <laughs>